I want to know, I'm wondering today if, if you've ever felt like this, that you have a, a good life, a decent life, right? Decently good life, let's just say that. But find yourself constantly focusing on the negative. Or you have 99 things going right in your life, but for some reason you tend to fixate on what's going wrong in your life. That, that problems are loud, right? That old saying that the squeaky wheel gets the grease. They tend to be more in, our, in, in front of us, more in our consciousness, more in our minds. And, and we're going through a series called Mindset. This is week three. And, and just a little bit of a recap, we're finding that what comes into our minds eventually ends up in our lives. That the thoughts that we think will dictate that our thoughts are a train station and our thoughts are taking us somewhere. And so it's impossible to have a, a, a positive life with a negative mind. That if we're just negative, negative, negative all the time, and, and I'm, I'm going to confess to you, I tend to be that person. I can, I can find the problem. You know what I'm saying? I can find it. Like, like there can be a lot of, of good happening, and, and it just, it's like the, the, what's negative or what's wrong tends to always be what, what I focus on. And, and, and today, I, this is, I've been really, this is, the week I've been waiting on, because we're going we're gonna to hear from the ultimate thought warrior, right, the Apostle Paul, the ultimate thought warrior, and he's the ultimate thought warrior because he writes about thinking in the renewed mind more than anybody else in the Bible, but he was able to keep his mind elevated when he was going through some of the way worse things that we'll probably ever experience in our life. He's been shipwrecked. He'd been bit by a snake. He'd been beaten. He was stoned on multiple occasions, not recreationally, with rocks. That's maybe how he did it. I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. No, but <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all. Pray, pray for me. He, he, he was thrown in jail. One time he, got, he got, got just beaten up, thrown outside of the city, got up, went back in. I mean, the guy had just been through a lot, been through a lot. And in Philippians 4, he writes just two, I think, of the most powerful verses in the New Testament about how to go through the valley and keep your mind elevated, that you can go through bad stuff and get something good out of it. And so I want to read it together, Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there's anything that's excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And now what happens when we do that? The God of peace will be with us. Incredible. Two verses. I just want to talk about those for a few moments today. Alfred Adler was a psychologist who practiced in the late 1800s, early 1900s. He founded individual psychology. He created it. So there's a whole branch of psychology that this doctor developed in his time. Every patient, when he would bring on a new patient, he would sit down, he would block off two hours of time with the patient, and he would ask one question. 
What is your first memory, your earliest memory? And, 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 and some of the, his biography tells us that he would wait an hour and let this person think and think. Have you ever thought about that? What's your first memory, earliest memory? And he would wait the whole session, wouldn't say a word. And whenever the person answered back, he would say, and so life is. Because he believed that our entire life is framed by our memories. And, and the way that, you know, and we're finding now that you can go back in people's lives and look through what they've been through and, and they may have what's called, and I'm not a psychologist, so I'm not even going to try here, but psychology calls it a cognitive bias, that, that it's, it's a frame that we see the world through that may not necessarily be true, but it was true for our story. So for instance, you may have had a family that wasn't together when you were young and dad left and you were a child. And so you grow up with this fear that everybody's going to leave you. And so you'll do whatever you can to keep people happy, to keep people there, because you go back to your, some of your earliest memories and, and, and dad left, or somebody hurt you when you were young. May have been a male or female, I don't know. But then you go through life and just you're, you instinctively avoid that type of person because you think, well, maybe, maybe they're going to hurt me like this person did in my history or in my past. Cognitive biases. It basically tells us that the world as we see it is not the world as it is. The world that, that we see is the world that we're, we're bringing our frame and we're bringing our, our narrative, our lens to what we see every day. And everybody, you know, we live in a world, but everybody has a world that they bring to this world. And, and I don't know each and one, one of you. I don't, I don't know your stories. I don't know what you've, where you've come from or what you've been through. But I promise you, I know this, that you've been through some stuff in your life. That you've, you've walked through hard seasons. You've had people hurt you. You've been through hurtful situations. And, and what can happen, though, is that it can be so bad sometimes that we are, we're, we're, we're just afraid that that's going to keep happening our whole lives. We're scared. And we see this in, in Scripture, I think. One, one story, for, for example, is in the book of Numbers, and I'm not going to read it, but Numbers 13 and 14. Moses sends out 12 spies. Now, think, keep in mind that they had just came out of slavery and bondage. They came out of a really bad situation. God said, I'm going to take you out of this terrible situation and bring you into a land that flows with milk and honey. Like, I mean, that's, I've never seen a land that flows with milk and honey, but it must be pretty darn good, right? And so he sends out 12, a, a person from each tribe of Israel to go and scout the land and bring back a report. Well, they come back and they talk about there's grapes the size of basketballs. Like, like, the, like there's just all, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's better than we imagined. There's all this incredible stuff. Like, it's, it's everything that God said it was, but... The, the land devours people. <laughs> there's giants, Nephilim. There, there's, there, there's their army, it's fortified. There's no way that we can take it. So of the 12 spies, only two had a good report. The other 10, it says that, that they came back and they started complaining and murmuring and they, 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 they shed fear, it says, in all of the Israelites. But Joshua and Caleb, 
They said, no, I think we can do it. No, I, I think that we can take them. I, and, and what's interesting to me is that all 12 gave the same report. All 12 seen the same thing, but two decided to frame it a different way. Joshua and Caleb didn't deny that there were giants in Nephilim. Joshua and Caleb didn't deny that there were warriors. They, it, it wasn't the facts that were different. It was the frame. Joshua and Caleb had faith. The other 10, they were seeing through a frame of fear. They're like, there's no way we can do it. Have you seen these Nephilim? They're like nine foot tall, right? Like literally, they're giant. And I, I want to talk about Nephilim one day, a whole seer, because that... That is interesting. Have you? I mean, angels came down and 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 and, and connected with with regular humans, and and there were giants. Wild, right? Uh, anyways, but isn't that wild to you? It's like, why don't we talk about that? And like, I didn't hear about that in Sunday school. You know what I mean? Like, like there were ne- there were giants, like net, like angels and humans and cross DNA and all this stuff. But anyways, that's all that the ten could see. They forgot about the land. They forgot about the promises of God. All they could see was the negative. Now, here is the Apostle Paul who wrote some of the most powerful verses on how to think in a a healthy way. And for sure, he's writing this from the island of Malta, right? Certainly, he's, he's sitting poolside by an infinity pool. And people are bringing him grapes and cheese and wine. And he's just writing this. Surely that's where he's at, you know. His whole life, he wanted to go to Rome, Paul. He knew, you know, the gospel was just, you know, Jesus had just resurrected. The church was beginning to expand. And he knew if he could plant a church in Rome, Rome was the epicenter of the world at that time. Everything that happened in Rome happened in the world. And so Paul knew if I can get the gospel to Rome somehow, it will go out through all the world. Well, he gets to go to Rome. (laughs) And he's writing the book of Philippians from Rome, but he's writing it chained to a prison guard in prison. Now, have you ever thought to yourself in life, this is not where I thought I was going to end up? Our God delivers on a promise, and it's not the package that you were expecting. But I want you to see how he frames it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you how I might have framed this. If I was sitting in Rome in a prison cell, chained to a prison guard every six to eight hours, they would change out the guards. This is, this, I'm going to call this the new whiners version of Philippians 1. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me really, really sucks. As a result of the hell that I have been through, I'm quitting the church, and I'm never going to attempt anything for God again. I wouldn't blame him. That's not what he says. I want you to see what he says. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Chained up to a prison guard. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace and everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. What a different frame. And this is what I want you to see, that that the world that we live in is not the world as we see it. And when Paul gives these things, whatever is good, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, they're not very spiritual. And, And it's really easy to live a life framed like this. 
all I see is what's going wrong in my life right now. All I can see is the storm that's rolling in. I'm on a beautiful beat. I'm in Rome, but I'm strapped to a prison guard. I'm being told when I can eat. I'm, I'm, I'm writing on bo- you know, borrowed pens, just, just constantly seeing the negative. But what Paul is trying to tell us to do is that he's not disregarding the negative or the bad or the storm. He's saying, but you can elevate your mind and choose to frame what you're going through and get a whole different perspective, a whole different perspective. And that's what I want to talk about is, is the frame this morning how we frame our lives, because the frame is more important than the thing. It's not the problem. It's not the situation. It's not what's keeping you up at night. It's really the story that you're telling yourself in your mind. It's really what you're choosing to say and how you're choosing to see that situation in your life and what you're telling yourself in your head. And so I want to give you just a couple of things that have helped, has helped me because I'm, I'm like, if, there, if you could win a medal in worrying, I would win it. I mean, if you could win a medal in having a poor attitude, I, I think I would have a shot at it. And, I, and I'm not saying like this is not positive thinking here. I'm, this is re, reframing. And I think, you know, this, these three things with the help, I, I do sit with a psychologist And he's helped me reframe some of the bad things in my life. And these are the tools that he has given me. And I want to give them to you. How do we reframe our story? How do we reframe the situations and the relationships in our life? And the first thing that I want you to see is is you got to tell yourself every day, I'll search for the potential in my life and not stare at the problem. Those 12 spies came back and the 10... All they wanted to talk about were the giants, the walls, every reason why they couldn't do it. Joshua and Caleb seen the exact same thing, but they were speaking words of faith. They were saying, you know what? I know there's giants in the land. I know we're going to have to fight. It's not going to be easy, but I think that we can do this. And in life, it's so easy. It's so easy to just stare at the problem. It's so easy to go through stuff and only see the bad that's going on in our lives. But when I look at the life of Paul and he talks about how he was shipwrecked and how he was put in prison, even though he was in prison, he was still in Rome. He, you know, he, he, he still got to go. I mean, it probably wasn't the, the, the trip he thought he was going to take. But if you look for the bad and you look for the negative, you're going to find it. Nothing in life is 100%. I believe this. I mean, I, nothing. No person, no job, no church. If you look for something wrong in this church, you're going to find it. Pretty quick. If you look for what's wrong in your job, you're going to find it. Pretty quick. If you look at what's wrong in your spouse or try to find it or in your kids or in the people that you work with, you're going to find it. But you could decide, you know what, instead of focusing on the problem or, or, you know, some people's spiritual gift is to find what's wrong in a person or another situation. And I found the people that do that are incredibly insecure. And they, they, they just got a gift. Like they can just show you what's, what's wrong in, in, in life or in that person or in that organization. I, I, heard, I came across a story this week about Sam Walton. 
Sam Walton, he, he uh, started Walmarts. And they went and looked at a, a, a co- the competition. And it was like, it'd be like, it, I don't even want to say the name of another grocery store because I respect all grocery stores. But they went to a lower end grocery store. And it was Sam Walton and he was walking around with his, his CFO. And they went and they visited and they, and they had a meeting afterwards. The CFO wrote this story about Sam Walton. And, and they, they, had a, they had a debrief. And the CFO was, was, Sam asked the CFO, well, what'd you think? And the CFO said, that place was nasty. It was filthy. I don't think they've cleaned it in weeks. Nothing was labeled. It was handwritten, handwritten price tags. Like, it was terrible. And Sam said, but you know what? Did you see the pantyhose rack? Seriously. It was, it was immaculate. It was so organized. I, I got the name of the vendor that built the pantyhose rack. Because I, I think if, if we can get this pantyhose rack in Walmart, we'll sell more pantyhose. <laughs> Sam Walton had a way of finding good even in really, really bad things. And, and it's something you got to tell yourself. It's something that you got to make yourself do. That, that I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see, like, the children of Israel, the spies came back, 10 seen nothing but what was wrong. They seen the storm. They seen the negative. Two seen the positive. And so what happened is because the 10 out, outnumbered the two, they had to sit and circle in the wilderness for 40 more years. And I had a pastor tell me last week, this isn't something I've carried around a long time, last week, he said, you will remain wherever you complain." That's a whole word right there. That's worth coming to church this morning. You will remain. Wherever you complain is is where you'll remain. And that's exactly what the children of Israel did. They just focused on the giants. They they complained. The Old Testament calls it murmuring. They murmured. They got all the, they they started spreading it through the whole million of, of the children of Israel that they were. And you know what God said? All right, you want to complain? They just circled for 40 years. You'll never complain yourself out of a bad situation. You'll never complain your, your way to a solution. One of the things I took away from a job I worked at for 10 years, and we sold soda. <laughs> we, we had a new GM came in, and we had this process improvement form. And, and the way that we pitched it was, I want, you to, I want you to write down any problems in your department and put it in this box. It's anonymous. And the new GM came in and said, we, we don't have problems anymore. We have opportunities. We don't have problems anymore. We have, and I'm, it sounds crazy, but it changed the whole culture and even the stuff getting put in the box. If the box was just like, I, it was my job to open the box and look at the the. the whatever people put in there. And when it was framed as the place to go with your problems, it was bad. <laughs> like I, w- I would come in and I was like, I'm not, I'm not gonna read that to the, G- I'm not, I don't think he's ready for this. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, but when we started telling our companies, like this isn't where you go to bring problems. I want you to bring opportunities to this box. Everything began to change. Everything began to change. So, so what do we do? I, I, I'll search for the potential. I'm not going to stare at the problem. The second thing I, I want to give you that's helped me, that's a tool, I believe, that can help us frame, reframe, 
is to do something that I like to call pre-framing a situation, pre-framing it. And it just sounds something like this. You know, you can get up in the morning and you can tell yourself, man, I really, really hate my job. (laughs) And I don't like the people that I work with. And I know Jimmy's going to come in this morning and he's going to be running his mouth Right, right, and, and, and the boss is probably out to get me, and, and, and it's cold, and it, the car's not even going to get warm before I get to the house, you know, to, the, to work, like, like, like you can wake up and you can pre-frame your entire day with what is probably or potentially might go wrong. You can do that every day. Or you could say, you know, I don't like my job, but thank God I got one, Thank God that, you know, and it's not the, my favorite job, but I know it's not the end game for me, right? I know I'm not going to work this job forever, and, and I don't like Jimmy, but you know what? I'm growing as a person because Jimmy is just stretching me beyond measure, and, and, and I'm really learning patience because Jimmy's a loser, and all he does is complain. Like, like, like you, you can decide that I'm going to pre-frame that day, you know, and it's really up to you. And I wish that you could just, we could just have a coach that walked around with us all day and got us out of the clouds and said, no, 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 I want you to see the good. But what Paul is saying is the renewed mind that has the Holy Spirit in our life, the Holy Spirit is going to take you from this reality and say, I want you to look at the good here. I want you to focus on Jimmy's good traits. If he's got one, just look. You know, I'm, I'm sure you can find something that Jimmy is okay at, like... Like, like the, the Holy Spirit, I think what he does is he constantly, he gives us these impressions when, when we start to complain or we start to fixate on the negative that, that we can see the good that's happening in our life. And so here's a few statements that have helped me. Instead of saying, I got to do this, say, I get to do this. I got to mow the lawn today. And I don't want to do it. Well, you can say, well, I get to mow the lawn, and I thank God that I have a lawn to mow, right? Or I got to go to church today. Or, you know, I I, I got, and that's what we tell our dream team. It's in our, if you've gone through growth track, it's step one. Like, as soon as as somebody gets the mentality that that I got to come to church and serve, we're going to ask you to take a break. Because we don't want you to get to the point where it's, this is, this is a duty, we want it to be something that you enjoy to do. We want, you, we want it to be something that you like. Like most of my life going to church, I did not like going. My mom made me go, and I got very little out of it. But something shifted in me in high school. Like when, when I, it, it turned in from like this, this painful experience, I just didn't like going to church as a kid, to, wow, I, I'm, I get to go to church. I get to learn about God. Like, like, like it's, it's all in the way that you frame it. It's all in, in the, the story you're telling yourself. Or you could say, they let me go, right? It's, everybody in here has been let go before, fired. That's not easy. That's not fun. Or you can tell yourself, well, they enabled me to be successful somewhere else, right? <laughs> like, no, no I, didn't, I didn't get let go. This is, I, I, got, this, I got set up for the next blessing or the next job that, that God has f- for me. Or, or here's, I can't, I can't do this. I just can't do it. I can't do it. Try this. I haven't done it yet, right? Not I can't do it. I haven't done it yet. 
And the greatest one, I, I think this, is, this has been the most impactful for me, is I hear this a lot. You know, people tell me their story, and it's really easy to look back on our lives and say, you know, life just did this to me. <laughs> you know, this, this hurt. This person left. They, they left me. And I had somebody tell me one time that, that every person in our life is either a blessing or a lesson. Sometimes they're both. Come on, somebody. But life doesn't happen to me. Life happens for me. It's, it's, I mean, it, it changes everything. Life doesn't happen to me. Life happens for me. I'm sure Paul had to do some of that while he was sitting in prison and thinking, why is this happening to me right now? Here I am working for God, writing a third of the New Testament, and I'm in, I'm in jail? But it put him right where he needed to be. And every eight hours, he had another person that he could share the gospel with. And it, we wouldn't have this text this morning. And, and I, I just want to challenge you for just a few minutes. C can you look back on your life and somehow see that some of the worst things that you had to go through, good came out of it? And I'm not discounting the gray clouds. I'm not discounting the storm. I'm not discounting the flood. I mean, nobody, nobody asked for suffering. Nobody asked to go through things. But what Christianity does for us that's different than every other religion on the planet is we don't try to do away with our suffering. Christianity gives our suffering meaning. It was David that said, it was good for me that I was afflicted. It was Jesus that looked at Peter and said, I have to go to the cross. I mean, that's, that's a, a symbol of pain. It's a symbol of suffering. It's, it's what we put on top of our churches. It's what we wear around our necks. And, and what does it mean? It means that suffering is not where life ends. I want you to hear that this morning. If you're, in, if you're suffering right now and you're going through pain and you're going through a season where your life looks like the gray side of this picture, I just want to tell you not to give up. Because life is like a really good book. The more that you read, the better that it gets. And there's some chapters where it seems like this is over. There's some chapters where it feels like I don't think that I'm going to make it. Do I have anybody in here this morning that can attest to this? Like, the worst thing is never the last thing. And part of walking this faith journey in our life is that when we're going through seasons that look like this and feel like this, is keeping our minds and framing it like this. Saying, Lord, I know something good's gonna come out of this. Lord, I, I didn't wanna lose that person. I wanted to stay at this job forever. I told y'all, I've said this a couple weeks ago, when I left Pepsi to go into ministry, I was walking out with my box of stuff crying down the hallway like a little like beat up dog or something. Like I didn't know what I was gonna do. I mean, I, I really, but I, I felt like God was calling me to do something else, but I really liked my job and I didn't wanna leave it. But I knew that it was just, you know, I had to just kind of get, tell myself that, that, that I'm, I'm, I'm following God and it's not always gonna be easy. It's not always gonna be, it's not always gonna feel good. And there's gonna be some stuff that we gotta walk through. But Paul, the ultimate thought warrior says this to us. Romans 8, verse 28, 
And we know, somebody say, we know, with great confidence, this is an amplified version, that God, who is deeply concerned about us, causes all things to work together for good. For those who love God, to those who are called according to his plan and his purpose. And so what is he telling us to do there? The second point here is he's telling us to rehearse the story of success and not failure in our life. That's what he's saying. You can fail and not be a failure. Some of the most successful people I've ever met in my life failed over and over and over. But they didn't tell themselves that story in their minds. When they were going through that time and they were going through that pain and they were going through that season where it looked like they had made a mistake and it was over for them, they kept going. They kept their mind elevated. All things work together for good. And that's really hard to even believe when you're going through a bad situation. Honestly, like that's probably the worst thing that you could tell somebody that's going through this grieving. You know, or they're they're sitting in at a funeral. It's like, good's going to come out of it. You know, I just want to punch somebody. Like, I'm grieving. No, this is terrible, right? This is not good. But somehow, some way, God does it. And I can't tell you the stories and the people that I've heard that have just gone through some of the worst trials and storms in their life. And it may not have been that year. It may have been three or four or five years down the road, but God used it for good. And this is the last thing I I, I I want us to just think about and then we're gonna pray. Is that to reframe our lives, to see God's grace, to look back and to see God's hand is to tell yourself that I'm going to look for God's goodness in every situation. I'm, I'm going to look for God's goodness because I'm, I'm finding that in life, we get what we look for. We, we find what we look for. And and if we look for the problem and we look for what's wrong and we look for the pain and we look for the negative, we'll we'll find it. But what's amazing to me about this this verse that Paul gave us is those words, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's praiseworthy, they're not real spiritual words. He doesn't say, you know, you know, just, just to keep your mind elevated, focus on, you know, uh, singing songs or, you know, read your Bible. Like, like they're pretty practical things. And I think what, he, what he's saying and what he means by that is, is just, just, just do your very best to look for what's good and what's good in that situation, even when it feels really bad. Matthew 6 Jesus talks about, he's talking about worry. And he's telling his disciples, don't, don't worry about the clothes you're going to wear. Don't worry about the food you're going to eat. And then he gives an example. He says, consider the birds. Just a little weird. But I want you to think about, I want, I want to put a vulture on the screen. 
And I want you to think about what a vulture does its whole life. A vulture looks for what's stinky and dead. That's what a vulture does. A vulture flies around its entire life and all it's focused on is death and, and, and what, you know, just nastiness. And look at them, right? Now, I want you to think about a hummingbird. What does a hummingbird do? It's looking for something sweet. <laughs> it's looking for flowers. It's looking for life. It's looking, and, and look at the appearance of a hummingbird. You can tell when somebody's got a negative mind because put that vulture back up there. That's what nasty thinking does to you over 20, 30, 40, 50. You just, you're just all, you know what I mean? Like, like it, it, it. Put that hummingbird back up there for me. This is what we want to be, y'all. Look for the good. Look for the sweet things. Look for the life. Like even in, 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 the, in bad situations, new life can come. I want you to just bow your head. We're going to pray. Father, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us texts like this from, from people who went through really, really bad stuff but was able to keep their minds focused on you, that were able to keep their minds focused on the good, were able to tell themselves the story of success and not failure. That this is just a trial and there's going to be a story of victory on the other side of it. And so, Lord, I, I pray, God, by the, with the help of your Holy Spirit and the power of your word that you would help us reframe our lives. If we have stinking thinking, if we complain, if it's the first, it's our default, Lord, help us to change, to rewire those paths in our brain, to not just see the negative all the time, to not just focus on what's wrong or who left or who let us go. Or, but Lord, help us to look for the good. Help us to have minds that search for life and search for meaning. Lord, help us to renew our minds every day. And remind us when we're going through chapters in life that are dark, that it's not the end of our story. And remind us, Lord, when we go through seasons of loss and pain, that you're the God of resurrection. And that there's a, a promise for every pain that we face. And so, Lord, we just thank you for your faithfulness, God, and we just ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.